Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It is your local community radio station and it is excellent to have your company for the next hour. My name is Andy, broadcasting on Jagra and Turable Country here in Brisbane. And today on the show, we are going to be venturing off the land and into the ocean. We're going to be exploring some of the things that are happening offshores and down deep deep into the ocean where few of us ever go um we're going to be talking about a media release that came out this week that almost certainly passed you by it was not in the news uh, because it looks very boring but i did pick it up and i thought there's a few things in here that are worth talking about on the paradigm shift the media releases comes from the honorable Madeline King, the Federal Minister for Resources and Northern Australia. And it is about the Australian government opening up new areas of ocean for exploration for offshore greenhouse gas storage to, quote, help Australia lower emissions and meet net zero commitments. Now, there's a lot of things going on in this media release that show a lot about our climate policy and how it works and also the symbol i guess the metaphor of the ocean of this vast depths where you can just dump stuff and nobody will ever check on it and how it works as a metaphor for our climate policy as a whole anyway there's a number of areas that are being opened up um obviously the only people that are going to be exploring these areas are big fossil fuel companies because they're the ones who invest in carbon capture and storage and It just so happens that some of these areas include large gas reserves that you could maybe dig up and use the CCS, as they call it, to help uh, greenwash your project. There's other things that come up in this release about the Australian government's commitment to lowering emissions and how important carbon capture and storage is, which is just uh, a bit of a lie, as we will show in this Uh, paradigm shift episode as the hour goes on we'll dig into what does carbon capture and storage really do and so at the end of it we get the final sweetener in this media release that says the government is providing 12 million dollars in the next budget to review the environmental management regime regime and examine ways to improve regulations to support offshore carbon capture and storage projects in other words we're going to give taxpayer money to 
big fossil fuel companies that already don't pay their fair share of tax to explore this technology that doesn't really work to reduce the effects of climate change, but does work to greenwash the projects of fossil fuel companies, and we're going to be supporting it. And all this in one little media release. Um, It's quite impressive. There's one other thing, actually, that I should say, is they start off talking about carbon capture and storage, and they helpfully have brackets where they say CCS as the acronym they're going to use but by the end of the media release they're talking about ccus which is carbon capture utilization and storage which is where you use the carbon dioxide you're theoretically saving from the environment to dig up more gas (laughs) we'll talk about that more on the episode and so this comes in without any warning they just start using that acronym as well so anyway this is all in madeline king's press release came out this week and so i thought it's time to do a paradigm shift talking about the ocean what's going on and what are we letting fossil fuel companies do to it? So I'm going to be talking with Louise Morris from the Australian Marine Conservation Society uh, about seismic blasting, a form of testing that fossil fuel companies do to search for oil and gas, which they will also do to search for the reserves for where they can pump carbon dioxide and the environmental effects of it. It is incredibly loud noises that they blast repeatedly to uh, try to get where there's echoes, where there's cavities under the ocean floor. I'm also then going to talk to Rod Campbell from the Australia Institute about carbon capture and storage, the great scam of the climate change strategy. And so we had a, a lovely chat digging into the greenwashing of governments and fossil fuel companies and talking about the real uh, uses of carbon capture and storage, which are all about the business interests of big corporations. That's what's coming up. Stick around. Let's start with my chat with Louise Morris. My name is Louise Morris. I'm the Australian Marine Conservation Society's oil and gas campaign manager. All right, and we're going to talk a bit about oil and gas in this interview, but maybe to start off with, let's just talk about the ocean, which is what the um, AMCS is all about protecting. Why is the ocean important um, and should we be protecting it? Oh, God, what angle do we want to start on? I mean, we are an island nation surrounded by a marine environment which regulates our temperature, is a large base of our food system, whether we're talking about phytoplankton to the things we fish out of the ocean to eat. And then there's the biodiversity. So Australia, being as vast as we are, we have some of the most unique marine biodiversity from the Great Barrier Reef down to the southern areas where we're focusing on of the lesser known Great Southern Reef, which is actually bigger than the Great Barrier Reef. So if we're not looking after our marine environment, we're not looking after Australia's environment. Mm. And in terms of climate impacts, of course, often... um, the rising seas with melting ice caps is talked about, um, about climate impacts of the ocean. But the ocean plays a pivotal role both in um, uh, carbon sequestration, but also there's a lot of other climate impacts that affect our ocean environments, aren't there? Mm. The ocean is actually the biggest carbon store on planet Earth. So the ocean is warming faster than our air atmospheric temperatures and along the east coast of Australia and down to Tasmania where I'm based, we're seeing an average sea temperature rise of about three to four degrees. 
So the ocean for decades now has been sucking up so much of the heat that has been coming through the burning of fossil fuels. And it's now hitting to that point where it's actually starting to pump that heat back up and the tipping point is happening. While this is going on, we've got an Australian government which is hell-bent on expanding offshore oil and gas exploration and mining in our oceans. So not only are they suffering from the effects of burning fossil fuels, we are increasingly industrialising our oceans to go and search for more and more fossil fuels. And this involves processes such as seismic blasting, which... We've got a lot of campaign effort going into to try and stop that in the southeast, as it's one of the most harmful things for our marine life. All the way to test drilling, which is uh, another one that's bearing hard and fast on our oceans. So it's it's a death by a thousand cuts for our oceans at the moment, whether it's overfishing, climate change, and the expansion of offshore oil and gas industry. Yeah, it certainly seems like when we're seeing big projects in the news fossil fuel projects these days it seems that they're not on the land which we seem to have largely exhausted you know the fossil fuel Mm. reserves it seems like so much um of that exploration is now happening out in the ocean with so much potential to harm the ocean in different ways obviously the amcs must be concerned about this massive expansion of offshore industry Mm. i mean it's Exactly as you say, it's a little bit of a, well, it's actually a lot of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind habit the Australian government has done. So our brief and my campaign especially is really focusing on offshore oil and gas. So we're working very hard on some southeast proposals and over in WA with our Ningaloo campaign to both make people aware that this is growing at pace in our oceans. And obviously we've got a narrative from the government of, oh, you know, if we don't mine more gas, the, you know, the pilot light will go out. Over 80% of our gas that we mine is for export markets. So it's not about Australians not being able to gas. And as we've seen in Victoria and other states, everyone's transitioning away from gas. It's dirty, it's expensive, and renewables can do a much better job. So there's no need for the government's ongoing bad habit of releasing more and more of our oceans to the oil and gas industry. Uh, it's worth noting that it's September 1 today, which means next month in October... We're watching and waiting to see if the Albanese government once again does its annual bad habit of every October they make these big announcements of where oil and gas companies can now make bids for the next round of ocean that they can go and, you know, buy up, which is public ocean, to go and look for more oil and gas. So this is a bad habit driven by a fossil fuel sector which is hell-bent on business as usual with a lot of taxpayer subsidies, while our oceans boil, our climate burns, and as we know this summer, we're in for an absolute stinker and we're expecting marine heat waves from the Great Barrier Reef all the way down to the Great Southern Reef, and it's our oceans and the people who rely on our oceans who will suffer. Mm. So one of the processes of offshore gas and oil exploration that the... Marine Conservation Society has been especially trying to highlight is seismic blasting. Can you tell us what is seismic blasting and why um, do you think it's a bad thing for our ocean life? Oh, seismic blasting is one of those things that just bends your brain that we're still even thinking about doing. So what it involves is to explore the ocean floor, or more importantly, below the ocean floor. These massive ships go out there trailing these air guns, which these They run on lines which can be kilometres long. 
and they explode these blasts of air. And if anyone kind of knows a bit about water, sound travels further and faster in water than it does at air. So the decibel levels up there, where they're blasting around 250 decibels. If you imagine the loudest rock concert you've ever been to where your ears wanted to bleed, that's normally around 150 to 190. The, the sound not level that seismic blasting operates at pulverises zooplankton, so that's the foundation of our food source. That's the little small crustaceans which baleen whales feed off. And then you come up to that, you know, the top end of the food, seismic blasting at that level actually damages the ears of cetaceans such as blue whales and southern right whales, which live in some of the areas we're campaigning really hard on to stop seismic blasting. Uh, last week, we found out that over 30,000 people had made a submission to this very boring regulatory process on a project which is proposing to do seismic blasting over 55,000 square kilometres of ocean between Victoria and Tasmania. Just to keep in perspective, Tasmania is about 62,000 square kilometres, so it's pretty much the same size as Tassie. And this area is key habitat for the endangered blue whale, carving grounds, the southern right whale, and some of our most productive waters where zooplankton upwells. So if this project is allowed to go ahead, we're going to see mass destruction of the foundation of our food system all the way up to the key feeding grounds of blue whales, and the seismic blasting is proposed to happen when scientists know that all these species are in the area for the summer feeding feast that happens. So we've got a couple of months to stop this, and we know that 30,000 of those that 30,000 submission, at least 20,000 were against it because almost 20,000 ANCS supporters put in a submission based on the information we gleaned. So this is a massive project which is all about new fossil fuel projects and it's the first of two. So there's actually two seismic blasting proposals in the same area as part of that industrialisation of our oceans you mentioned earlier. Hmm. So what... what impacts um, of seismic blasting on marine life have been documented. It's been talked about yeah, tiny little plankton, but also marine mammals like whales mm. being affected. This is where it gets interesting. So there's been so little research done on the larger animals, but the way that research normally happens is you know, scientists get, say, a scallop or a crayfish can do some blasting within a controlled environment, code word for tank, trying to stick a blue whale in a tank and doing that testing, a little bit awkward. So we know from situational studies where animals have been injured or washed up after seismic blasting where studies have been done on their ears, that that damage happens. The specific information on just how bad it is, so there's reports of, you know, uh, internal organs being damaged, ruptured eardrums, but when we're talking about blue whales and southern right whales, we cannot comprehensively say for the different types of technology used that's exactly what will affect the eardrum in this way or the liver or the spleen. The research that has been done in the areas north of between Tassie and Vic is on mass deaths of scallops and smaller shellfish, which obviously can't get out of the way, and it affects the immune systems of lobsters as well, so it you know, blows up a lot of the their equivalent of blood. It's I mean, the, the damage is unknown and the fact that these companies are going out there blasting these same areas over and over and over again with increasingly harder and harsher technology is a recipe for disaster. Are there alternatives? I mean, even assuming that we want 
to open up offshore oil and gas rigs? Are there alternatives to finding these reserves that would be better for marine life? Yeah, there are alternatives to mapping our ocean floor. I mean, there's something called marine vibrosis, which uses, it sounds a little more like an instrument really, doesn't it? But it doesn't use these really harmful big explosions of air. It's more of a vibrational technology, which is not as harmful to marine life can be used and has been used we we're actually at a loss as to why the industry isn't adopting newer better technology to do less harm as they try to understand the seafloor more whether that's you know mapping it for any form of technology because you know wind farms get mapped in this way we just had a massive release of carbon capture and storage uh, acreage which will also involve more seismic testing. So there's better ways to do it. It just seems like a bad habit by some companies who go out there and do it year after year, sell the information to the open market and make a tidy profit. Mm. Yes, um, we will be talking about carbon capture and storage um, on the show also today. I did note the release of new um, acreages offshore for carbon capture and storage. Uh, Are there concerns about... Yeah, these new releases, I mean, there's a lot of greenwash that comes with it, but they will be using seismic blasting to explore these areas for places to pump carbon under the ocean floor. Is that right? Exactly right. And they'll be using much harder, deeper forms of seismic blasting too because they want to penetrate further into the the ocean floor. So this big 55,000 square kilometre project that we're campaigning against falls exactly over where one of the proposed carbon capture and storage areas are that companies can come and bid on. The companies have until November 28 to put in bids to the federal government of who wants to throw some cash on the gambling table to have a bet on, you know, the boondoggle that is carbon capture and storage. This is an unsafe, unviable and unaffordable technology, which on the 33 examples that have been tried globally have leaked like sieves, haven't captured anything like what was projected to be captured and the only times it ever has been taken to full fruition is by oil and gas companies who want to do a thing called enhanced well optimization, which is using that pollution gas from burning fossil fuels to pump back into a tired oil and gas well to increase the pressure so they can suck up the last dregs that are in that well, which if you look at where the, the proposals are, especially in the southeast... It's all areas which have been sucked to not quite dry, but pretty close. So we've really got to pay attention to whether or not carbon capture and storage is being used by the oil and gas, well, let's just say the fossil fuel sector, as a get-out-of-jail-free card for business as usual, while pretending to be, you know, working towards net neutrality, carbon offsets. It's an absolute joke, and it's a dangerous joke. All right. Thanks very much for chatting with us, Louise. Um, if people want to find out more, how can they do that? Uh, they can head along to our website, which is marineconservation.org.au. So there you'll see some information on the specific projects we're working on, whether that's you know, the PEP 11 one in New South Wales, the seismic blasting in what is known as the Otway Basin, and also more on carbon capture and storage is this one unfortunately is not going away quickly and we are going to need all of Australia to push back on this because the government's pretty much shown itself to be a agent of the fossil fuel sector despite their promises of climate action and action on biodiversity. 
we're not seeing much for our oceans in that action plan. All right. Thanks very much, Louise. Cheers. Thank you. Louise Morris from the Australian Marine Conservation Society. We were talking about the oceans and deep oceans, particularly about seismic blasting, which is one of their big campaigns that they are trying to stop at the moment, which is one of the many ways that fossil fuel companies are sort of colonising our oceans for their own profits. Um, One of the other ways that we spoke a little bit about with Louise, but I'm going to talk about more now, is the idea of carbon capture and storage, which we'll go into a lot of detail in my next interview with uh, Rod Campbell. So I won't say too much now, but this was inspired by the fact the Australian government has just announced secretly, it didn't really go in the news, but I can guarantee that the fossil fuel companies got the memo that there are new offshore uh, areas being released for exploration for carbon capture and storage, which is where gas companies get to dig fossil fuels out of the ocean and claim they're doing a good thing for the environment by pumping some, some of the carbon that they dig up back into the ocean. Um, But it gets a lot of government money and a lot of hype. There must be something to it. Let's have a chat with Rod Campbell about what it's all about. Hi, I'm Rod Campbell. I'm the research director at the Australia Institute. We're an independent think tank based in Canberra. Now, today we're going to be talking about a topic the Australia Institute has had a little bit to say about, which is carbon capture and storage. Can we start off by saying, what is carbon capture and storage? (laughs) It's a scam. Uh, That's the one-word answer. Um, But... Yeah, more more seriously, what it is is the idea that you can take carbon dioxide either from an industrial process uh, or some people are trying to do it directly out of the air and bury it under the ground, um, sequester it within the Earth's surface uh, and you would do this for climate change reasons. So uh, usually this is associated... You know, historically, it's been proposals for coal-fired power stations, <clears throat> you know, uh, the whole hype around clean coal sort of 20 years ago to 15 years ago, uh, coal was going to become cleaner because uh, instead of just letting it pollute into the sky, we were going to pollute into carbon capture mechanisms and then store that carbon back under the ground, uh, giving you clean coal. Um, so Clean coal has gone by the wayside. It never really eventuated. There's only one place in the world, uh, as far as I know, uh, that has uh, semi-successfully integrated some kind of carbon capture onto a coal-fired power station. So that horse has bolted. Um, Coal's being replaced by other forms of energy generally, Um, But, unfortunately, the scam of carbon capture and storage didn't uh, go the way of the dodo and uh, hopefully soon the coal industry, Um, but it has lived on and is being given new life by the gas industry uh, and governments that love the gas industry. So the gas industry is aiming to keep producing large amounts of gas that emit 
large amounts of greenhouse gases by saying they might be able to store those, capture and store those greenhouse gas emissions under the ground, they're being, oh, look, to be fair, slightly more successful than the coal industry was uh, with only one uh, coal plant ever kind of pulling this off. There's, there's a handful of gas operations that have got something we can talk about, but um, they're not being much more successful than that. Mm. Now, one of the things to note, I guess, about this is that if you are extracting gas, um, part of exporting it is that, as I understand it, you have to separate the carbon dioxide from it to begin with. So um, that's something they're already doing. And so then they have this carbon dioxide. So at a place like uh, Chevron's Gorgon uh, CCS plant, which is Australia's biggest and the world's biggest one, part of the processing is they're separating this and then they're pumping that stuff under the ocean floor. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So a uh, conventional gas operation like Gorgon, um, you imagine they're, they're drilling down under the sea into the earth and they're essentially tapping into a great big bubble of gases that's um, stored un or that has developed um, under the Earth's surface. And there's a few gases in there. The one that they really want is methane. Um, and there's also carbon dioxide in there that they don't really want. Um, they can't sell that. Um, and, of course, neither methane nor carbon dioxide are any good for the atmosphere. We want those basically staying under the ground. Um, but since they're, since they're digging it up, um, they, they are aiming to sell the methane. And what to do with the carbon dioxide? Well, ideally, they're going to try and get it back underground. Um, and as, as you say... This is what is going on at Gorgon, uh, at a place called Barrow Island off the northwest of Western Australia. This is run by Chevron. And a big part of the environmental approvals for Gorgon, it's massive, it's highly polluting, and so part of the environmental approvals related to, well, you're going to have to lead the world with some CCS, some carbon capture and storage technology, and Chevron said, great, give us a bunch of taxpayer money to help. Federal government and Western Australian government said, great, here's some money. And, uh, you know, they have set up a carbon capture and storage operation that is operating. And, you know, not many other people in the world can say that. So that's an achievement, I guess. Um, but it's never operated to the capacity that it was meant to as part of the deal for its environmental approval. As a result, Chevron's had to buy a lot of uh, in carbon offsets, a lot of which are of pretty dubious integrity. Um, so the CCS still isn't working to capacity, and I guess the long-term integrity of the storage there is also probably something we can talk about in a, in a little while. Um, and ultimately, the loser here has, of course, been uh, the Australian taxpayer and the climate, because Chevron are extracting a large amount of gas, releasing a large amount of CO2, and they're not storing the amount of CO2 that they had promised, and the offsets that they are buying to compensate for that are probably not up to the job. Yeah, there's like so many layers of kind of uh, greenwashing and corporate malfeasance 
uh, to dig through here. But I guess one of the things is, so the stats are, as far as I know, that uh, Gorgong has only ever stored one-third of what it was originally meant to. But the other side of that is that's one-third of the carbon dioxide that just comes from what they're digging up out of the ocean. We're not talking about the gas that is released when this gas is burnt later on. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's a key point to to remember. We're not making the use of the gas clean. Um, the, The whole CCS was just meant to make a small part of the process a bit cleaner. Um, So, uh, you know, you talk about a lot of the greenwash and malfeasance and so on. There's a whole other conversation around the accreditation and declaration of projects like this as, you know, are they carbon neutral or are they environmentally friendly? Um, That's a bit of a different conversation. Um, But it's... abundantly there and that the point is that uh, carbon capture and storage works to facilitate that you know whether or not it's working just the fact that gas companies are able to say oh we're going to use some carbon capture and storage um, that's helping them with approvals gorgons and you know absolutely solid example of that and it also helps them to get finance the example here is uh, Santos's Barossa project off uh, off Darwin, where international investors are suddenly getting very very leery of this project. Um, Santos have failed to consult with indigenous people. They've been taken to court. They've lost. They're running around trying to get all their ducks in a row. People have pointed out this is one of the most polluting gas projects Australia's ever seen. What are they going to do about it? And they've come up with, oh, we're going to do some carbon capture and storage. Whether or not this project, whether or not the carbon capture and storage part of the project is even feasible is actually beside the point. It's Santos and other gas companies being able to point to it, saying we're going to do it, gives investors and governments an, you know, a fig leaf to say, oh, well, you know, they seem to be dealing with that. We can probably give it some, some sort of approval or we can probably lend them some money. Um, so, yeah, it, it's entirely about greenwash, even if it doesn't actually work. Now, are there improvements happening? I guess this is the thing is carbon capture and storage has been going on for quite a long time. And is it looking better? Is it looking like this technology is going to become more useful? Uh, I think the one word answer is no. Um, it, you say it's been around for a while. It's, it's been around for a long time. It's, it's been around for decades. I think, I think it was in the 70s uh, that oil companies started doing this, but they started doing it not to make their operations cleaner, um, but to uh, repressurise gas reservoirs, so bubbles of gas under the ground where... Um, they've taken a fair bit out and suddenly it's getting harder to get the oil out, the oil and the gas out. One way they found of getting more out was to inject thing, inject either water or some kind of liquid or some kind of gas it back down into that reservoir to help blow out the useful oil and gas. Um, and so they call that enhanced oil recovery or EOR uh, to those in the biz. And so EOR, Enhanced Oil Recovery Projects, that have put carbon, uh, put carbon dioxide under the ground, yeah, have been around for a very long time. And so you know, we do kind of know how to do it, um, but 
it's just very, very rarely been done successfully for environmental purposes. There's about... So to give you the numbers, at the end of 2022, this was, these are the statistics from the Global CCS Institute. At the end of 2022, there were 30 carbon capture and storage projects operating in the world. 20 of those were actually trying to get more oil out of the ground. They were enhanced oil recovery projects. So they actually have a, uh, a net increase of em emissions that they're not trying to address climate change. So of 30 operating CCS projects, 20 of them aren't to do with climate change. Uh, only 10 of them are. And those 10 have capacity you know, roughly equivalent to about two coal-fired power stations. So it's, the entire world's carbon capture and storage capacity is about two coal-fired power stations. So... It's not going well. It's been around for decades. Has, hasn't gone well. Is it going to go well? <clears throat> I would say no because of decades of experience. But also the, the problem is that every place that we're trying to bury carbon dioxide is different. So every underground storage location has its own geological quirks. So this is, not a store, this is not a technology like cranking out solar panels or batteries where you've just got to set up a factory. It, every one of these projects is a boutique project. So could we get better at it? I, to be honest, I really hope we do. I, I'm not anti the concept. I, I'm really anti it being used uh, as greenwash and as a way to facilitate more pollution rather than clean up the pollution we have. I have in front of me here a media release put out this week by Madeleine King, the Federal Minister for Resources, and it says a line that is often sort of repeated that Australian government is committed to lowering emissions and helping the world to achieve net zero and that the Climate Change Authority and International Energy Agency have said carbon capture and storage will be an important technology to help the world achieve its climate goals. Now, the Paris Agreement and the climate goals set in there um, they have frequent mention of technologies like carbon capture and storage. Is this just, um, you know, make-believe? Is this just a smokescreen to say we're not actually going to do it? How much are, are these goals reliant on these technologies that aren't necessarily viable? Um, I mean, I think there's a few things to unpack there. I mean, wh why do they keep getting mentioned? I, I think, I think they, I think... Carbon capture and storage and its Im apparent importance keeps getting mentioned in statements from the minister, statements from the IEA uh, and, and similar bodies, exactly because so many big, powerful corporations uh, have put so much importance into it, it happening. Um, and so if the IEA and the Australian uh, energy minister started saying look, this really isn't a goer, it's not making a significant contribution, then the scam would be exposed. Um, so I, I think it keeps getting a mention in there to keep powerful interests happy. Um, it, also makes, it also does feature in some of the modelling that the IEA and other groups do, um, but those, those, those forecasts have never come off. Like, 
carbon capture and storage has never developed, it's never become commercial, uh, it's never been functioning to a level that has been anticipated for in models and corporate and political press releases for decades. Um, so, you know, why is it there and what, what's going on there? You know, I, I think it makes it a lot easier for the Australian government, the IEA, other bodies to, to put out statements um, that, you know, put some CCS window dressing there to keep some powerful interests happy. Mm. Well, they are very powerful because in the last couple of months there's been another move by the Labor government which was to change laws around ocean dumping and this is uh, to facilitate the Barossa gas field that you um, referred to earlier. Can you unpack a bit about this? What has... what was this law change and how does it affect things? Oh, I'm, I'm really glad you asked about this. Um, this is... Uh, uh, this is a story that I, I think should have been told a lot more um, and I, I think it sums up a lot of the problems with uh, Australian governments um, and their relationship with the gas industry and, and CCS. So as we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, Santos, Santos really needs this Barossa project um, because it needs the gas for some other facilities. Um, it, it, uh, it has a lot riding on Barossa going, going ahead and going right. Um, Barossa has hit a lot of problems relating to, particularly to, uh, well, it's particularly polluting and they've really ruffled the feathers of some traditional owners um, who are rightly aggrieved about the way they've been treated and they've had some really stunning court wins. So Santos are in a lot of trouble. Santos are a really powerful corporation in Australia. They've got very good political connections. So what do they do? They work out how can we, how can we smooth the way for <coughs> this project to go ahead. Right, well, we'll say we'll... Um, you know, I can't speak too much. I don't really know in detail what's happening with the traditional owners and some of those issues. Um, but in terms of the the pollution aspects of it, their approach has been right. Well, let's set, let's set ourselves up a carbon capture and storage project. And it just so happens we have uh, some pipelines and some reservoirs from our other offshore gas projects not too far away uh, out in the Timor Sea. Happy days, we'll just take the pollution from Barossa and stick it in the Timor Sea, or at least we'll tell the investors that that's what they're going to do and every, everyone will be happy. Uh, the problem is there's a, there's a, little, there's a funny old law, uh, and it da dates back to the 1970s, um, and it's about... It's, it's not only Australian law, it's an international convention uh, about uh, dumping things in the sea. And originally this was related to ships and ballast water and rubbish and things. But it, it's also come to include carbon capture and storage and uh, dumping things in international waters or at least crossing uh, international lines. And so suddenly for Santos to take the pollution that it aims to produce in Australian waters in Barossa and put them into Timorese waters where they have some existing operations was going to require a law change. And so did the Australian government 
say, that's ridiculous, we need to get on with decarbonising our economy. Of course they did not. They said, Santos, will do whatever you ask for. Uh, we'll, we'll get this law change sorted. Uh, and so did the Australian government introduce into <coughs> Parliament a great big bill called the Favour for Santos's CCS Project Bill? No, they didn't. They dressed it up as... Uh, I don't have it in front of me. The, the title of it's about three lines long. It's super boring. Uh, it's called the you know, Amendments to the Sea Dumping London Protocol 1960, blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 Climate Change Technology Bill 2023. And to anyone who isn't really, really paying attention, and you know, I pay fairly close attention, and I was onto this pretty late, um, it... It really looked like, oh, this is just an administrative update to some old sea dumping convention that we just need to make a few tweaks to. But it's abundantly clear if you read the submissions from the gas industry and from the Northern Territory government that uh, for many years at least, the only beneficiary of this legislation is Santos and the Australian government has bent over backwards to make it happen. The opposition is on board uh, and I think it's a disgrace uh, to Australian political leadership everywhere that people haven't had either the brains to work out what's going on uh, or the integrity to say, no, this is ridiculous and it should stop. Mm. Well, yes, it shows a lot. I guess there's a lot in that story about, um, you know, how we're in the situation that we are and with climate policy and labour climate policy. But I guess for those of us who we do want to advocate for good climate policy, um, what do we have to do to take on this kind of greenwashing? Because it seems like you're arguing against things that are being done for the climate, which is not what you want to do. But obviously, um, if we're going to have effective climate action, we need to take on greenwashing and stop it. Oh, we ab absolutely do. And, look, there, there is potentially a role for CCS. There is, pot there is potentially a role for other kinds of carbon credits. All of these things can have a legitimate place, but that's not how they're being used in Australia in 2023. Uh, and I think people need to be calling that out, absolutely. I think in discussions with journalists, friends... Uh, your local MP, councillors, senators, companies, your super fund. Yeah, I, I think people who are, you know, wanting to have conversations about climate and climate policy in Australia need to be calling these things out for what they are. And you know, CCS is a scam and it's being used by companies like Santos, like Woodside, like Chevron to facilitate an increase in pollution at a time where we should be decreasing it. All right. Thanks very much for chatting with us, Rod. No worries, Andy. Thanks. That's been a great conversation. That is Rod Campbell there from the Australia Institute talking about carbon capture and storage. He did introduce the topic by saying that he could describe it in one word as a scam, but he went on to uh, elucidate that in many more words. But it is it's something we have to be on the lookout against, these kind of... Um, it's just funneling more money into some of these big corporations and using uh, the climate crisis as an excuse to 
and in the end it's at the expense of all of us and the planet that we live on not just us humans but all the many creatures that live in the ocean who are out there doing their thing living life and in a lot of ways contributing that ocean ecosystem contributing to the life of us on the land and it's worth remembering the way that we're connected and looking after our ocean um in november in newcastle there'll be a people's blockade of the world's biggest coal port there at Newcastle, which will be people joining with the ocean to stop the coal tankers coming in and out for a day or a couple of days. And so that kind of thing is uh, what we need to be talking about doing to try to really uh, bring attention to what's causing the climate crisis and how can ordinary people stop it, rather than leaving up to politicians like Madeline King, uh, the Minister for Resources, whose press release we started the program with about opening up new offshore regions for gas companies to explore, to um, dump, try, pretend to dump their carbon emissions in there. That's all we have time for on the Paradigm Shift for another week. I will, of course, be back uh, next Friday. See you next week.